few months ago, I was on an airplane and um, ta- sitting to, with some lady, and we talked. And it's weird. Anytime I'm sitting in the airplane with someone, the conversation always turns to God for some reason. And uh, <laughs> we, you know, we just start talking about beliefs, and she she started throwing out these you know these beliefs that she had, and she was very sure of them. And uh, and I didn't know what to say to her, you know, like I, I don't know every belief that's out there. And so, you know, to disprove everything is, is difficult. You just kind of lay out the truth as you know it and go, no, 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 here's what I do know is true. I don't know everything about what you believe. But I remember uh, her, you know, and I was able to refute some things. And then she goes, well, haven't you, you studied the Da Vinci Code? And I was like, uh, no. And she goes, you really need to, you know. And I'm like, all right, okay. You know, and, and, and I knew I needed to, you know, because it was getting popular, but then, uh, then people start asking, and more and more, people just start saying, well, don't you know this? This was already shown in the Da Vinci Code, and I'm like, oh, all right, I'll read it, you know. Um, I don't feel an obligation to refute every single doctrine out there, a new teaching, otherwise that's what we would do every single Sunday, because there's a new teaching every week that comes out, and, and, and I'm not saying we need to be knowledgeable in all of these things, but I think this one's completely different. Um, because in my estimation, I, I believe that the Da Vinci Code is the most cleverly deceptive influence that I've seen in my lifetime. And it is so widespread. I mean, if you haven't heard the buzz about it yet, you will when the movie comes out. When, when does it come out? Is it this week or a couple weeks? The 19th, okay, it's going to be huge. The book has already sold um, over 36 million copies. Think about that. 36 million copies of this book. Um, It's written in 44 languages now. Um, It's an extremely well-written book. Um, if, If you've read, how many of you have read it? Okay. Yeah, it's it's good writing, right? I mean, it's just it's, it's the Dan Brown is a great writer. Whoever actually wrote it, you know, is a is is a great writer. Um, I, I don't read a lot of fiction. Okay, I, I just haven't really made a lot of time for that in my life. I think the last fiction book I read was The Mouse and the Motorcycle. Um, <laughs> you remember that by Beverly Cleary? And uh, I, I think she wrote. But uh, and um, but but this book was so entertaining, and it, it's it's hard to put down. Um, very well written, and I, I think the movie is going to be even better. Um, so if you haven't read the book, just wait for the movie. Um, you know, with, with Tom Hanks, you know, Ron Howard is, is directing it. It's supposed to be the biggest movie of the year, and it's going to influence millions of people, sadly. Um, but here's the thing. I, I really believe that if we know the facts and we understand this thing, um, we can really use it for the glory of God. Uh, we can really show the knowledge that we have but by our study of the Word of God. Um, there's so much, there is so much to tell you. Uh, so I, I think the best thing I could tell you right now is study it for yourself um, because I, I, could li- I could easily spend three hours right now just going through the book and dissecting it and telling you everything that is false, but I, I just don't think that's the greatest use of our next six weeks, you know. Um, I, I, I just think it's something you need to do on your own. I mean, just, just Google it. Just look up, you know, these Da Vinci Code websites where I, I read like five books this last week all just refuting the Da Vinci Code. 
um, because it's not real difficult. Um, it was meant to be fiction, but then I, I think Dan, Dan Brown was, was very uh, intelligent, very clever in, in making his millions through this book by making it seem like it was factual and even claiming that certain things in the book are factual to get the public to go, oh, maybe this is true, maybe there is some truth to it. Um, but I, I encourage you, I, I hope you really do study these things when they come out, when you get a chance. I hope you study scripture outside of Sunday morning. Do you do that? Uh, you know, is this the only time you're fed? Because I, I know for a lot of people in the church, you depend so much on Sunday morning or Saturday night for that one sermon to give you all the spiritual knowledge and information you need for the whole week. You know, I talk to so many Christians who, uh, who don't study the word of God for themselves, um, but they, they rely on, on uh, me teaching it. You know, it's kind of like... Um, I can find it in my pocket. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Pez. Um, you guys know what Pez. My, my my daughter came up to me the other night, with a little pack of Pez like this. She goes, "Dad, you want some Pez?" I go, "No, I, I don't want any Pez." But then, you know, it was like an hour later. She comes up to me and she goes like this, "Dad, do you want some Pez?" <laughs> and I don't know why, but suddenly it was so much more appealing when it was in the Pez container, you know, and, and, and it, it just seems like for a lot of people, it's, it's like you go, okay, hey, do you, do you want the Word of God? You know, why don't you study the Word of God for yourself? Why don't you open it up and study the Word of God for yourself? And it's like, uh, it's just not appealing to me. But then Sunday morning comes and I go, hey, you want the Word of God? You know, and, uh, and, and suddenly it's like, oh, okay, I'll take some, you know, because it's, it's unwrapped and it's, it's nice and it's presented to you well and everything else. And I'm saying, you know, the, the thing is, is there's no difference, right? You know, it's just the difference between, you know, now suddenly someone's, you know, speaking it to you. And, and the worst thing that happens is when people go, well, I don't like when Francis does it. I like when Todd does it. And, 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 and the, the truth is, is no matter who's saying it, it's still the word of God. And, and it gets discouraging sometimes when I hear, well, you know, uh, are you speaking this week? Because, you know, I only want to be there if you're speaking. And it's like, well, you know, aren't you in love with the Word of God? Don't, don't you love it because it's the Word of God? And whether I or Todd or, or next weekend it's going to be Pastor Peter um, from Africa. Uh, you know, it's just, um, it, it, it's like, it's, it's the Word of God. And, and all these different people that we put on the stage are all going to teach the same thing. But my desire is that, you know, you, you come here because you love the Word. And even during the week, you go, man, I can't get enough of this thing. And so you research different things, and you open up the Bible for yourself, and you listen to other speakers, you know, that open up the Word of God. I mean, that's where the, the Internet and everything else, just so many resources to you. And that's, you know, when we come to this issue of the uh, Da Vinci Code, there's just way too much. I tried to cram way too much into last night. Yesterday we had like a four-hour seminar on it, and you can get the DVDs from that. You can get DVDs online from all sorts of different people. You can watch videos online just to make sure you're well-versed in it somewhat to some degree, just to have some argument. So you can just throw it out there to show that, look, it, this is based upon, you know, these inaccuracies, and here's the truth. Let me lay out the truth. Here's what hasn't been disproven, and it's the Word of God. Um, for those who aren't familiar, let me just give you a general premise of the book um, and the movie. Basically, what happens in the book and the movie is that someone is murdered, you know, in the Louvre Museum, and, but he leaves clues behind as to why he was murdered. 
okay? You know, and he was murdered mainly because he was keeping this secret, you know, that, that has been kept secret and suppressed by the church for all of these years, and it's the truth about who Jesus was. And so throughout this novel, throughout the movie, you know, you have this, this guy who's figuring out all the clues along with this girl, you know, and they go around, they figure out all these clues, and these clues are leading them to some discoveries that have been kept from the general public because the church has not wanted them to know this, supposedly. And these truths are that... Uh, Mainly that, that Jesus was not, uh, never claimed to be God. It was something that Constantine made up in the, you know, in, in the year 300 and something and created this whole council. But the truth of the matter was, was that Jesus was actually married. He was married to Mary Magdalene. And, and Jesus actually chose Mary to lead the church. You know, and said, hey, Mary, you're going to lead the church. But then the apostle Peter got angry at her and very jealous of the fact that Jesus would choose Mary Magdalene to lead the church. And so he begins persecuting her. And so she flees. She flees over to France where some Jews helped her out, um, you know, took care of her, protected her. You know, she gave birth to Christ's daughter. So her and her daughter just kind of remain hidden there in France for their whole lifetime. Anyways, as starts this whole new bloodline, which is the bloodline of Christ, and, uh, and the idea is that this bloodline has been going on for centuries. Um, they married into the French royal line, you know, and this French king, um, uh, King uh, Godfrey, I, I believe, yeah, Guy, Godfrey of Bouillon or something like that, and uh, he, uh, he establishes this uh, this organization called the Priory of Sion, which was this secret organization, and their whole point was to protect this truth. You know, as everyone else is trying to destroy it, they were going to protect this truth, and they create the splinter group called the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar, they were protecting these documents that tell you all about this. Okay, that there's these secret documents, and it was hidden, it was hidden in... Um, uh, it was hidden under the ruins of Herod's temple, these secret documents, and right next to the bones of Mary Magdalene. And so these people are figuring this all out. Now this, this Priory of Sion um, over the years was helping protect these documents and, uh, and they would give little secret symbols so that everyone would know. And people in this Priory of Sion were Leonardo da Vinci. That's where we get the, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, um, Victor Hugo, uh, Sir Isaac Newton. These were all people supposedly in this Priory of Sion that all knew about this. And so they would secretively tell the truth in their hidden ways. And that's why they start looking at the artwork of Leonardo da Vinci, and they start going, ah, look at the Last Supper, you know, and they, they go, you know, isn't that interesting that John looks a lot like a woman, you know, so that's probably Mary Magdalene, and, uh, you know, and, and, and it looks like he's, he may even be showing a little cleavage according to, you know, this picture, and, and he looks awfully effeminate, but if you look at the picture, they all look effeminate, you know, this is France, and, um, you, you know, so, so they've got a, I'm kidding. Uh, kind of. And, uh, you know, so, so, you know, you got all these clues, and the whole idea is they're trying to find the Holy Grail because the Holy Grail, they're saying, it literally refers to the tomb of Mary. 
that, uh, that the Holy Grail was not the cup in which Jesus partook of, but his wife, Mary Magdalene, which he partook of, you know, and all this stuff. And so at the end of the story, you know, they finally find this, uh, the bones of Mary and, uh, you know, and, and these documents and, and this voice tells the person, okay, now bow down to the bones of Mary Magdalene. And, ah, uh, you know, and that, that woman, you know, the woman that bows down realizes at that moment that she is God and that, you know, and that, that all women are goddesses and that, you know, and there's this sacred feminine that's been hidden by the church, by the Apostle Peter and everyone else to, to quench the role of women. And it, it's just, it's just this, that's the general premise of the story, um, which Brown, the author of the book, states this, quote, almost everything our fathers taught us about Christ is false. So that's what's going to be spread around. That's what everyone's going to be teaching. And, um, and so I just want to give some quick uh, explanations of why this is all false. And, and it feels kind of silly even having to defend it. It's like trying to explain that SpongeBob isn't real. You, you know, it's like, uh, it's not shocking to any of you, right? Okay. You know, and, and, and the reason why I feel silly, I mean, honestly, last night I'm like, gosh, I just felt so silly having to go through this book and naming thing after thing because then it's like, well, and then, you know, Squidward isn't real either, or Patrick, or there are no Krabby Patties. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, how long do I have to go and go, what about that bear in the space? You know, it, it just, none of it's real, you know? And, and so I'll just hit a few things, try not to bore you. Um, but uh, you just got to know, okay, in the book, it literally says this. Okay, here's what the book says. All descriptions of artwork, architecture, documents, and secret rituals in this novel are accurate. Okay, so while it claims to be fictional, it says, but these parts are accurate. Now, understand something. I hope you know this, that just because something says that it's accurate doesn't mean it's accurate. Okay, like when the email goes, this one really works, um, you know, that doesn't mean anything. See, I can type that and send it to you. Yeah, go to this website and get a virus, you, you know, whatever. It's just, you, you, got, you just can't believe it, okay? It just, and and here, here we go. And you start doing some research on your own, you realize, okay, okay. For example, this, this secret organization, which, which really is the premise of this book, The Priory of Sion, it says in the, in the book, in the movie, that it was started in the year 1099, so a thousand years ago, by a French king, and that there's proof of this in Paris's Bibliothèque Nationale in these documents called, I'm sorry, I don't know French, Les Désirs Igres, okay, and... Uh, <laughs> It, and, and so, you know, it's saying, look, there's proof. There's proof that these documents exist or, or that this uh, Priory of Sion exists, you know, has existed since 1099 for the last thousand years. Well, you guys, this was already disproven in the 90s. Um, this was already proven to be a hoax. Those documents that were found in that library were actually found to be planted there. It's already been discovered by a guy. It's easy to remember. His name was Pierre Plantard. Um, oddly enough, um, and, and, and one of his co-conspirators actually admitted to helping him fabricate these documents. So it, it was already disproven um, that these documents were false. Someone planted it there. This guy named Pierre Plantard, in fact, uh, he, uh, he was an anti-Semitic guy. Um, he has a criminal record for fraud. 
Um, he's the one that actually registered this uh, Priory of Sion um, 50 years ago um, in 1956. He registered it with the, the French government. Um, that's where you get this, uh, these documents that say that there was this group, and Leonardo da Vinci was a part of it, uh, Victor Hugo, Sir Isaac Newton, you know, and this list. It's already proven that that's, that was fabricated. You guys, even if you don't believe anything I'm saying, 60 Minutes just did a thing on this. 60 Minutes just did a thing on this and explained that this is one of the biggest hoaxes in history that people are falling for. Okay, so if you don't believe me, believe 60 Minutes. ABC did something back in the 90s, the BBC commentary. You know, they, they did a whole thing on, uh, they, they did a documentary on how uh, this thing was planted. Um, so there you have it. That, that should just end it, you know, but let me just throw a few more things in there. Uh, the book claims that the Dead Sea Scrolls were trying to, de- you know, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, then suddenly we found some of these Gospels that were hidden um, you know, these hidden gospels that really tell the true story of Jesus. Um, you guys, the Dead Sea Scrolls don't contain any gospels. Okay, reason being the Dead Sea Scrolls were not written by Christians. They are written by a Jewish sect called the Essenes before the time of Christ. There are copies of Old Testament uh, documents that they found. An, an amazing finding. You know, Dan Brown says it was in the 50s. It was actually 1947 that I was found, so you get that wrong too. But, but the idea is that, that this wasn't a Christian group, you know, that, that wrote all these gospels. This was before the time of Christ, and it was written by this group of, uh, of Jews called the Essenes, and, and thank God for them, because it just opens our eyes to how accurate our Old Testament scriptures were, because we have these manuscripts that were dating so old. Um, in, in the book, it, it claims that... Um, Constantine tried to unify Rome under a single religion, which is Christianity. And uh, really, that is not what uh, Constantine did. If you study the Edict of Milan uh, that, he, that Constantine put out, what he did was not unify Rome under Christianity. What he did was, for the first time in history, he, he said that Christians would be tolerated. Uh, you see, up until Constantine's time, Christianity was illegal. The church was persecuted from the time of Christ all the way up until the time of Constantine. It was illegal to be a Christian, and so they're persecuted everywhere. And what Constantine did was allow this freedom uh, for the Christians to worship God as, as they saw him. Um, he mentions things such as, uh, you know, during Constantine's time, he gathered this council of Nicaea. You know, uh, you know this is in the 300s, 300 years after the time of Christ. He, he gathered this, this council in, in Nicaea in order to promote this new idea, basically, that Christ now is God. That this was some new idea in the 300s. And, uh, and, and in his book, he says, you know, when they voted, when these, these church leaders voted that the deity of Christ passed by a quote-unquote relatively close vote. You guys, the vote was 316 to 2. Okay, so you use phrases like, well, it's relatively close. 316 to 2? You know, it's just this whole idea of, you know, all the, see, all the believers already agreed on this. You know, it wasn't like this new idea that half of them go, okay, I'll jump on board. Well, okay, I don't know. And he makes it sound that way. It's like, no, 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 you got to understand, but ever since the time of Christ, Christ himself was the one that, that proclaimed his deity, 
not Constantine, not this council 300 years later. We have it in the scriptures. And what Jesus said, remember in, uh, in uh, uh, John 14, when Jesus explains, I'm going to the Father, and, and they're like, well, show us the way. How do we get there? And Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And then Thomas makes a statement. He goes, well, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Just show us the Father. And Jesus says something very peculiar. He says, Thomas, don't you know me by now? He goes, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What? Anyone that's seen you has seen the Father? And he was showing us, look, we're one. God is one. And, and yes, there's the Father, there's the Son, but anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. It was this unity. And people have argued, well, isn't he just talking about how close they were in relationship? And I go, no, that's not how we talk. I mean, close is, is my wife and I. My wife and I are very close. But, you know, people go, oh, I'd love to meet your wife. I go, eh, if you've seen me, you've seen her. Um, <laughs> You, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious, you know, you, you just go, it, it's, it's the whole idea of, no, 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 he, he was telling us that there's this unity, you know, between the Father and the Son. You know, we're, we're going to start studying, um, the, the next book we're going to get into here will, will be Colossians. Um, you know, Colossians talking about just the supremacy of Christ because it's attacked so often. Um, these, these are the things that are written, you know, right at the time of Christ. These are the people that were with him. Here's the Apostle Paul, you know, right after the death of Christ, you know, he's got his conversion and he's writing these things and he's confronting people and just explaining, look, this is what we believe. This is not 300 years later, this is during the time of Christ. These are people that lived during the time of Christ, unlike these other supposed gospels, like the gospel of Judas, which even the scholars, you know, are saying, you know what, that was written about a hundred, at least a hundred years after the time of Christ and after the time of Judas. It wasn't written by Judas. You know, so even, even, even National Geographic did this huge thing on them. They're even saying, yeah, it was written a hundred years later. Well, well, if we have all these documents that were, you know, the gospels like Mark, which, which we see are written about 20 years after the time of Christ, by an eyewitness, and then they say, well, we've suppressed these, these documents that were written 100 years later. What do you think these 100 years later documents were? They were already attacking the deity of Christ. This has been going on for centuries. You know, the true church started, and then suddenly, you know, 100 years later, they start writing these other documents, and of course the church rejected them because they were false. We have these authentic writings from people who were there during the time of Christ and said, here's, the, here's where it is. They all agree. Then 100 years later, I mean 100 years, that's a long time. 100 years later, suddenly all these other religions start, all, this other, all these other truths under, under Gnosticism of this secret knowledge, they start creating these different uh, gospels and yeah, they were rejected by the church. Of course they were rejected by the church. But anyways, um, where in the world am I? Oh, Colossians. I mean, here's, here's the truth that, that Paul writes this. Colossians 2, verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition rather than the basic principles of the world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. 
What is, okay, so Jesus says, you know, I and the Father are one. Jesus, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Apostle Paul says, in Christ, don't, make sure no one else takes you captive by all these different teachings. He goes, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily, bodily form. He goes, all of it. He's not just a little bit God. He's, you know, God Jr., whatever else. He, he writes in the most clear possible way, look, all of the fullness, all the completeness, all the everythingness of God that there is dwells in Jesus. All the fullness of deity dwells in him in bodily form. You have, uh, you have Hebrews chapter 1. Again, you've you got to understand, this is all the stuff that's written during the time of Christ versus the stuff that's written a hundred years later. I mean, who's going to know my life better? My family, you guys, the people that live with me now, or the people 100 years from now? Saying, oh, let me tell you the truth about Francis. Like, what? We weren't even alive. You know, and, and, but, but in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's who Jesus is. Look in the Old Testament. Let's just even look before, before the time of Christ in Isaiah. You know, uh, we can do this for quite a while, but Isaiah... Uh, you know, a verse that, that most of you are familiar with because, you know, you hear it in Christmas plays and stuff like that all the time. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is written 700 years before the time of Christ even. Okay, so a thousand years before Constantine, a thousand years before supposedly this deity of Christ thing um, started being thrown around. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Think about that. That's an amazing verse because 700 years before, the 700, that's a long time before Christ is born, there's this mystery in Isaiah saying, you know what, there's going to be this child that is born, a son who's going to be called the eternal father, everlasting father. This son is going to be called everlasting father. He's going to be called mighty God. Okay, even before the time of Christ, this has been prophesied. Uh, I'll just look at one more. Titus, Titus, chapter 2, verse 13. He talks about us, you know, the believers. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is our great God? Who is our great Savior? Jesus Christ. This is the way it's always been. It was not a new teaching um, that the church came up with so that we wouldn't have to follow Mary Magdalene. See, the idea was that Mary Magdalene uh, 
the, the, the church supposedly, what they teach was uh, the church used to be about the, the worship of God the Father and this goddess or sacred feminine, they call it. In fact, they say within the Holy of Holies there used to be God the Father, but there used to be another god, goddess, named Shekinah. Okay, so they take the Shekinah and say, well, that's what they meant was that that was actually the female goddess. And so actually in the temple they would have orgies, you know, and, and you'd get this spiritual enlightenment, and that's the way it always was until Peter changed everything. Okay, and then, you know, these male chauvinists started to change everything. And so they've suppressed these gospels, you know, like these true gospels, you know, where the church has been suppressing them. The most famous of these gospels, the Gospel of Thomas. Have you heard of that? The Gospel of Thomas. But, okay, let's just say, okay, if the church was suppressing it because there's a bunch of male chauvinists and so they didn't want this stuff because the, these, these gospels told the truth and we'd be worshiping goddesses right now, um, let me read you something from the Gospel of Thomas. Okay, you want to follow the Gospel of Thomas? Here, uh, you know, it's written 100 years after the time of Christ. Let me read you something from the Gospel of Thomas. This comes from the end of the Gospel of Thomas. Simon Peter said to them, Let Mary go forth from among us, for women are not worthy of the life. Jesus said, Behold, I shall lead her, that I may make her male, in order that she also may become a living spirit like you males. For every woman who makes herself male shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's the Gospel of Thomas. Okay, and so you're saying, well, the church didn't want that known because it lifted up women? That sounds like it lifts up women to you? Women, you got to become men. Good luck. You know, you become a man, and then suddenly you're a living being. You're, you're dirt. I, I mean, don't you understand? Everywhere the gospel went, it lifted up the role of women. Women were, were suppressed at that time. And Jesus, this isn't right. In fact, he tells the husbands, look, you better treat your wives as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. He says to the men, he goes, you, you don't treat your wife right. Don't even talk to me. She's a fellow heir of the grace of life. If you look at human history, everywhere the gospel went, it raised up the role of women. And these Gnostic gospels that came 100 years later were actually degrading the role of women. But, but you got all these things, and man, I don't know what to hit, what not to hit. Uh, quick things, you know, at the end when uh, she finds the, 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 the bones of Mary Magdalene, she finds it under this pyramid in the Louvre Museum, and, uh, and it's under this pyramid, and that's where she bows down, but uh, his book says that uh, the, the famous glass pyramid has exactly 666 panes of glass that it's made out of. So suddenly 666 is a good thing, and you've bowed under it. Under there, you bow to the bones of Mary, um, but the truth is, is if you look in the Louvre Museum's actual website, they even say that that glass pyramid has 673 uh, panes of glass. So 666 sounds a lot better, you know, for, for the sake of the, the, the movie and everything else. Um, this whole idea of the Mona Lisa, they're saying, you know, the Mona Lisa is a clue because if you, uh, if you scramble the letters of Mona, you know, you get this god named Ammon, you know, which is this, this old Greek god and then, uh, or Egyptian god. And then if you scramble the words Lisa, you get Isis. I know. 
Try it. I, I, they do it, though, okay? That, that, that Lisa really is, you know, you scramble it right, you know, uh, you just take the I-S and double it and take out L-A, you know, and uh, you've got Isis, who was that female goddess. I, you know, that's silly enough as it is, but what's crazy is, is you, if you know art history, Leonardo da Vinci did not name that painting the Mona Lisa, did he? No, that didn't come till the 19th century. Um, you know, the, they, they refer to it uh, as, as La Gioconda. Um, La Gioconda, because uh, that Gioconda was Lisa Girardini's married name, who they say is most likely the subject of the Mona Lisa. That was her maiden name. Um, is in the 19th century, they, ta- they changed it to the Mona Lisa, or not changed it, but other people started calling it the Mona Lisa. Mona uh, is short for Madonna, which means lady, and then Lisa, again, is who they think this woman is. So that's where you got the Mona Lisa. It wasn't a scrambling of these two gods, Ammon and Isis. Um, but, but he uses phrases like, uh, quote-unquote, I won't bore you with the countless references to Jesus and Mary Magdalene's union. That's been explored ad nauseum by modern historians. Okay, so he says, I'm not going to bore you and list all of these people. You guys, because you know how many there are? Zero. Not a single one. You won't find any modern historians who would talk about this union of, of Mary and Jesus. The only place where you have anything written, and this is interesting, is in 1983 there was this book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. It was a book that was written in 1983, and all historians regarded it as pulp fiction. But uh, that book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, those were the guys that were suing. Remember the big thing about uh, the guy being sued? Uh, because he basically just plagiarized a lot of things from another book. That's who he plagiarized it from, was from these guys. And yet, that's the only place where you see this union between Jesus and Mary that every historian just goes, well, that's Pulp Fiction. You know, and he's saying, well, I'm not even going to bore you. I'm not even going to bore you with this list because uh, everyone knows Jesus and Mary were, were married. But then he doesn't actually say anything. He talk, talks about, uh, that enough? You, you know what? Okay, let me say one more. Um, this... Uh, in the book, because this could confuse you too, They're, they talk about how this whole idea of Jesus, and you may have heard this in other places, that Jesus, his death, his resurrection, that there were already people who believed in such a thing before the time of Christ, that this was not new with Jesus, and it explains this pre-Christian God called Mithras, who was also called Son of God, they say, and Light of the World, who existed before the time of Christ that there was already this religion, and so Christianity just kind of copied that whole idea um, because it says that this god Mithras was buried in a rock tomb. He, he died on December 25th, on Christmas, whatever, and, uh, and, and uh, buried in this rock tomb, and then he resurrected. Um, Mithraic scholar uh, Richard Gordon says unequivocally, there's no death, burial, or resurrection of Mithras. There's None mentioned like that. In fact, there's no proof of this God, Mithras, or this religion existing anything earlier than 79 AD. So again, it's, it's about 40-something years after the death of Christ, we have evidence of this other religion that suddenly says, no, we worship this other guy, God, Mithras, who also died 
buried, you know, was buried and rose again. So understand it wasn't before the time of Christ, it was after the time of Christ. And not only that, but that, that God Mithras actually never claimed to, to die and rise again. You know, it's only something that Dan Brown is saying happened. Okay, so don't let that confuse you because it never really took place. Um, Mary, they say that she was of the house of Benjamin and of royal descent. Um, there's no record anywhere of Mary Magdalene's tribal affiliation, no genealogy of Mary Magdalene given anywhere in scripture, anything in history. They just saying, you know what, while she was from the tribe of Benjamin, she, you know, had sex with Jesus, you know, so they've, you know, have this royal line that's been going on for centuries and still exists. Um, none of that's true. Okay, all these things are going on and let me just leave it at that. And let me say this. Um, someone gave me this, this article um, about a month ago or so. Rediscovered Gospel offers radically new look at, Jude, at Judas. Um, you know, and the National Geographic spent a million dollars and did this whole thing about the Gospel of Judas, which was written, you know, about... They, they even say here um, that it was 150 years after the time of Christ and after the time of Judas that there was written, but it says uh, that this crumbling manuscript suppressed by the early church was rediscovered after 1,700 years in the Egyptian desert. They, they found this manuscript of one of the rejected gospels because it was written 100 years later and saying the church suppressed it or the church tried to destroy it. Well, of course, it was written 100 years later, and it's referring, the Gospel of Judas, the, the whole premise of that is that, that the creator of this world is actually evil. Okay, that's what Judas taught. And Jesus' flesh was actually evil, so Judas was helping him out by destroying his flesh. You know, so Judas is actually the hero here because he killed the flesh of Jesus, which is actually evil, because anything material is evil. And anything of the flesh is evil. Anything sexual is, is evil because that's all of this creator God and the one who created this world is evil. But there's actually a spirit God who lives in the spirit world and give you this secret knowledge so you escape your human bodies you know, and all of that. And, and that's the premise of the gospel of Judas. So, so I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the Da Vinci Code. Everyone's falling for these things. I'm kind of getting bummed out. It's like, you know, there's just so much stuff out there. Um, and looking on the internet and they said they found some bone and you know of course that proves everything you know um, you, you know because they, they, they just say well this bone looks like it could be you know this is no it wasn't a bone it was, it was teeth wasn't it I, I don't remember a bone or a tooth that uh, you know now they say that that proves the missing link and I'm like you know everything and then you know as I'm wrestling with all this stuff and just you, you just get a heavy heart and then a Jehovah's Witness knocks on my door. And, uh, and so he knocks on my door, and, and he goes, you know, and I'm holding the babies, you know, my wife's out. And, and uh, he's like, hey, have you studied the watchtower? Yes, I have. And he goes, well, what do you think of it? I go, it doesn't make any sense to me. I go, I go, I go, th I, I go think about it. I mean, you're telling me that the Bible teaches that Jesus was Michael the archangel? that he's just one of these archangels, just Jesus, you know? You're just trying to suppress Jesus. I hate what your, your group is doing because you're suppressing who Jesus is. You're belittling Christ. That's what everyone does. To where now he's just one of these chief princes. He's one of these archangels. He goes, oh, you've got it wrong. 
He is the only archangel. He is the chief priest, the only chief prince that, it, that exists. And I was like, well, that's interesting because it, why don't you turn your Bible to Daniel 10. I go in Daniel 10, verse 13, it refers to Michael as one of the chief princes. He goes, I never knew that. And I said, well, you know, I'm glad you're being honest about that, you know, that, that you don't know. I, I said, you know, here's, here's the thing. I go, I don't believe, I don't believe that you studied the Bible for yourself. I think you just listen to what all these leaders say and everything else, and you just kind of follow suit. You don't study the Bible for yourself, you know, and I offered him some Pez. You know, you, you don't... Uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just like you're just listening to this. You're not looking into it for yourself. I, because here's the thing. No one is going to read the Bible on their own, say, God, show me the truth. I'm going to read this thing and go, uh-huh, Jesus is the archangel Michael. How in the world do you get that? You know, but you, you, I get bummed out. I go, man, you know, you're, you're being fed this lie, you know. And you see the Mormons, you know, riding around saying, well, everyone can be a God and, and you can become just like Jesus. And Jesus had a father and that father had a father and that father had a father. And there's this whole line of them and it's like, no, there's one God. This is the way it's always been. And you get tired of fighting, fighting, fighting. And I was bummed out because it's like, man, everyone's fighting against the deity of Christ and it can get uh, depressing and, and then everyone starts believing well if all these people say these things and the gospel of Jesus comes out the Vinci Code comes out all these things you know discoveries all coming at once and uh, I started thinking about it and I go man this is actually kind of cool this is actually kind of a good thing because in my mind I go why is it, you know, if you like conspiracy things, you just ask the person, isn't it peculiar that everyone attacks the deity of Christ and nothing else? That from the start, 100, 150 years after Christ, you have these Gnostic Gospels and people are trying to say that it's, Jesus isn't really God, you know, and that women need to become men and all this other craziness. Gospel of Thomas uh, also talks about how Jesus murdered little boys and, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, well, don't you think it's interesting and that it was illegal for those 300 years? And then isn't it interesting that it's 600 years after Christ, suddenly Muhammad comes on the scene and says, you know what, Christ was just a prophet and, and I'm a more pure prophet. And, and isn't it interesting that, that there at the, at, the, at the temple site, there at the, the Dome of the Rock now, you know, inside that, that, that Islamic temple, you've got the words inscribed in the wall, there is one God and he has no son why, why do they have to just point out this Jesus and, and attack him? Why would the Koran, inside the Koran, why would it say, take not Jews and Christians as your friends? You know, why would it explicitly point them out? Why in the world would every cult that arises attack the deity of Christ? You know, and then why now suddenly the Da Vinci Code and all these other movies that are, you know, conspiracy theories all against the church, and, and why are they exposing all of these things and supposed facts that are coming up and everything attacking the deity of Christ? I mean, to me, I go, man, that's kind of cool because you don't see them attacking anything else. Do you see people attacking Hindu? 
Is anything written about that? It's like, oh, no, I think it's beautiful. He thinks that rat's his grandmother, you know? And, uh, and, and what do we go? Oh, don't bother their beliefs. That's, that's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I think I saw your aunt, you know, grazing this morning. You, you know, it just, it's a beautiful, see, I, I say some things, you go, ooh, don't do that. But we can back on Jesus all we want. It, it's totally correct. And don't say anything about Muhammad. Don't even draw a cartoon, whatever. But Jesus, we can, we can just destroy him. Everyone's taking shots at Jesus. And I go, why is that? It's the truth. And the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded this world so they wouldn't see that truth. And so everything is against Jesus. Why is that? You think that's coincidence? Don't you think it's odd that Jesus Christ is the swear word? And that all the attacks are on Christ, and it's okay, it's accepted, but you talk about anything else, you touch a Buddha, you damage a Buddha, the whole world's against you. You know, you say one thing about Muhammad, whole world's against you. You make fun of people thinking animals are their relatives, the whole world's against you. You bag on the deity of Christ, and you join the scores of people all around this world that uh, will, will just applaud you because it's like okay here's another thing disproving the deity of Christ because the truth is Jesus Christ is the son of God amen and here's the the truth that the God of this world doesn't want you to know that God in heaven is a loving God he loves men and women Okay, he loves you all women, you're real people, you're, you're living beings, okay, you don't have to become male if you choose to, uh, that's weird. Um, God loves you, he loves every one of you despite what you've done in your life, okay, he absolutely loves you despite what you've done in your life, but he's a just God and he has to punish, he's a fair God. Okay, God is fair. He put that, that idea of justice in you. That's in your heart. You hate when, when people are guilty and they don't get punished. God hates it even more. He hates that, and so he has to punish sin. And he will punish you for your crimes because you deserve it. That's fair. But he says you don't have to be punished for your crimes because he loves you so much. He loved you so much and he saw that, well, according to justice, I must punish, but I love these people despite what they've done. And so he shows the greatest act of love in human history, in the history of mankind. He has his own son, the Bible says, who did not consider equality with God, equality with God, something he needed to hold on to or grasp, but he emptied himself and takes the form of a man. So he emptied himself from deity, you know, in the, in the form of God to a form of man and dies on a cross paying for all of our crimes, all of our sins. That's the truth. And if you believe in that, you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave, you can have eternal life. And today, you can give your life to Jesus. You can begin this relationship with this God who loves you, the one who created you. The creator is not evil. The creator is a good God. He's a wonderful God most loving God, and no one will ever love you more. And there is nothing like knowing God. That's the truth. And the God of this world, you know, Satan is gonna blind the world to that. And every time the name of Jesus is mentioned, it's gonna be squashed. 
and there'll be more things. This isn't the end. The Da Vinci Code is not going to, okay, now we proved it and we'll go on. No, because every week something else will come up, and I'll tell you what it'll attack. Not Muhammad, not Hindu, not Buddha, not Gandhi. It'll attack Jesus Christ and his deity, which the church has been defending for centuries. And that's what we do in this room, okay? We carry on what Christ said, I and the Father are one. We confess Jesus. That means we say the same thing that he said, and we will guard this truth. We are the ones that are guarding the truth. The Bible says that the church is the pillar which holds up the truth. And that's what we're called to do in this room. So as people leave and you go outside these walls, everyone's going to say all these things about Jesus. But when we as a church gather, we stand here and we say, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything to us. And uh, if you'd like to know this Jesus and you don't have a relationship with him or you've never been uh, baptized or, or anything, you got any questions, I'd love to talk to you. There's other pastors here that'll counsel you. And so we're gonna sing one last song. Worship team's gonna come out. And what we are gonna declare is that Jesus is everything to us. Jesus is everything, okay? He's not a little God. He's not uh, a God. He's not an archangel. He's not the spirit brother of Satan as the Mormons teach. He is God, very God. He is one and only in the beginning was the Word, the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God from the beginning, and we're here to worship Him and tell Him that He's everything. We do that through our singing, we do it through our giving, we do it through our lives, our service, everything. I will die for this. I will absolutely die for this. Jesus Christ is God. Would you guys?